Hello and welcome to Season 3 of The Road Provides, a travel podcast for the next generation of travelers, adventurers, and vagabonds. I'm your host, Bradford Clement. Joining me as always is my co-host in Denver, Nate Sundermeyer, a.k.a. the Will Smith of Coach Class. We're, we're getting all in our feels this week with a game of travel fear factor, and then we're taking you to a land down under where the women glow and men plunder. This is awful. So grab your passports and sunscreen. This is The Road Provides. Get my airline name out your mouth. (laughs) You, you. Welcome again. We're back for another week. Nate, what's the haps, brother? What is going on, Brad? I just want to say I was wrong. Earlier in this podcast, I said, you know what? I am not going anywhere exciting. I was wrong. I just got back from a week in Lake Havasu. Which is basically California Trumpian's paradise. It was wild. It was beautiful. It was like desert mixed with the blue water. And there was some definitely some interesting people. Was it like Girls Gone Conservative? It was QAnon Spring Break is the is the is the vibe I got. But it was a really good time to spend with Jess and her family. And uh yeah, got some hiking, got some boating, got some golfing, some chipping and putting at sunset with a few beers. You swim by the pool. Motor boating son of a bitch. <laughs> you. Yeah. I still can't believe you went down there. You said it wasn't peak spring break. Yeah, we're, we're you, coming off the shoulder. We always talk about shoulder season. I think it was shoulder spring break. Definitely saw you saw a handful of people that were a bit younger, but for the most part, it wasn't like right in your face like I kind of expected. I think we're about two weeks past it, but still a really good time. And before still- you went, I was like, you, your girlfriend, her parents, and have a super spring break. I was like, this is going to be. I was like, I need to see Snapchats and Instagram stories of all of this. But I haven't posted anything. I've been a bit off the off the gram a bit recently, but uh, I'm going to be back on to share this magic. <laughs> What's good with uh, you, Brad? Also, I can we not talk about the weather? I hate to uh, not to like. What what, be, what beef do you have with me about the weather? I can't talk about the weather anymore. Nate, once you cross a certain age, the weather is like the first thing you talk about with so strangers. How's the weather in Montana then? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not do that. Uh, I do have a funny story to tell you, and I didn't want to to tell you pre-interview, but you see a Cairo, yeah, correct? Tom today is he? So did I. But do you see a snap, crackle, pop Cairo? Uh, what do you mean? He's just in it for the pops or what? <laughs> like, do you you really get adjusted? Like your back and body, like pop and and all that stuff? Like yeah, he does yeah, proper yeah. manipulations and adjustments? Yeah, yeah. So my guy is a, I asked him what he did today and he's like, Nuka. And I was like, what? He's like, N-U-C-C-A. And apparently it's this type of uh, chiropractic form or practice i'm not exactly sure how you articulate it but what he's doing he does these minor adjustments through my neck because the philosophy is that if you adjust the placement of the head which is 10 to 14 pounds and if it was properly balanced on on your neck the rest of your body then adjusts to support it and so if your head gets off axis interesting then your body adjusts and so i was all fucked up Anyway, I've been seeing him for like a month or so. And, and I went in today. I was like, my jaw has been killing me. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, like the stress can move up through your back into your shoulder and, you know, can get up there. So, so we made some adjustments. And he's like, yeah, I got a good one there at the end. And I was like, all right. He's like, if you feel a little dumb later, this is probably why. And I goes, what do you mean feel dumb? <laughs> he was like, it's a big know, night for me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, I got a fucking podcast to record. And he's like, well, you know, it was like a big release in a sensitive area. He's like, it might make you feel kind of tired or, or dopey or sleepy. And I was like, oh, fuck. So everybody listening, <laughs> Nate, I'm, I'm apologizing early. If I sound really dumb tonight, it's not my fault. Well, the, it usually is me on on that end of uh, of things. So I, it'd be nice to have a little bit of a change of pace where you're the the dumbass, I'll tired carry, one. I'll carry the dumb flag tonight. How, about, how does that sound? Yeah. Well, right. um, let's get into it. Our first segment. We are going straight 
to a destination, Death Valley, absolute fucking smoke, Brad. Scorched just, earth. <laughs> just joking. We're not going anywhere, but we are staying pretty hot. We're starting off in our lane uh, with travel takes. It's basically any zany shit that can be seen in the same galaxy of travel. What has got you revving this week, Brad? Uh, Nate, I have got my calculator this week. I've crunched some numbers. I've analyzed data. Data or data? Are you a data or data guy? Definitely a data guy. Data? You would be a data guy. It kind of feels like I went back to college for this week's hot take. I did that kind of studying. So here it is. China is the future of travel. They're making power plays in every sector across the world. Why wouldn't travel be next? In my opinion, it's only a matter of time. Barring some kind of major military conflict, I predict Americans will see China as a hot travel destination. To make my case, I need to introduce you guys to a couple of numbers. Chinese tourists currently spend $255 billion a year on international travel. Holy shit. Hold that one. Two, my guys, my absolute guys at Goldman Sachs project that number to be $450 billion by 2025. That's three years. One more data point here, Nate. They also forecast 100 million new passport holders in China as well. Yes, you heard that correctly. So obviously that's outbound travel. But what I believe is eventually entrepreneurs in China will look to turn that wanderlust inwards and keep some of that money at home, which coincidentally started during the pandemic. I also think this young generation of Chinese tourists, once they've seen the world, they will look to see their country with new eyes. So that's the muscle behind this movement, right? The sheer economic force, the population size. But what are the indicators it's already happening? One, in 1982, China established its first national park, Zhangjiajie National Forest. I fucking nailed that. Name my firstborn son. In 1982, Nate. Let me bring that number up again. 1982 is their first national park. Think about how important our national park system is to tourism. Give China another 40 years to get wise to it. And just for perspective again, Yellowstone opened in 1872. Number two, Disney Shanghai opened in 2016. That's all I need to say. Disney opened a theme park in China. Three, Americans think Las Vegas is nuts. Nate, do you know what the Las Vegas of Asia is? Shanghai? Hong Kong? Macau. Ah. It's Macau, and it does six times the gaming revenue Vegas does. Quick fun fact, because I know you love fun facts. It's the most densely populated region in the world. On top of these big factors, there are a ton of micro projects and developments popping up all the time in China. One that sticks out for me is these massive Buddha hand bridge that was recently built. Google that. It's pretty fucking cool looking. Um, there you have it, Nate. China's taking over the world. What's stopping them from taking over the travel world as well and making it their own? Ni hao, bitches. Ni hao. Wow. Well, whatever adjustment that guy made um, didn't work because you just came off like a smart ass just spewing facts. And like I got a 1260 data. on my SATs. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like I usually try to like find a way to disagree with you on these, but I think you are right. I also think that people, there is a draw before all this to go to China. The Terracotta Warriors, the Great Wall, ever heard of her? And just the, ma <laughs> the massive scale of cities like Beijing and China are one of a kind. So I think there already is a draw. And then the fact that they're going to be deliberate about it is dangerous. I mean, they're, they're already, I mean, they're taking over the world in so many different ways between like rebuilding s the Silk Road and then like energy, energy, doing all these things with, um, they give developing countries all of these fucking shady ass uh, loans, loans and then an bang, now that then they own everything, they're going to own the world. So you might as well just say, let's learn a little Mandarin and get over there. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's important to, to see here, and I don't know when I really kind of got into it, but there are some crazy pictures of like Shanghai from like 1990 to Shanghai now. The growth is just they can build a hospital in like a week. They can, is, like, they can build a building in a week. It's absolutely out of this world. So I think if you put it through that perspective of just the absolute growth, the growth of their middle class, if anybody's um, 
up on the economics and the upper mobility of the Chinese population, you just see that that money's got to go somewhere, right? And that there's just, it's ripe for investment. It's ripe for more development. And travel is such a big boon. If you take all that, put it in a pot, I think what you come up with is, yeah, China's going to start building and aggressively pursuing a travel infrastructure in their country. And it might not be our kids, but maybe our kids' kids see China as who are who's going to be the biggest spot. loser if if the, if the what country? This is probably something you haven't thought about, data boy. Um, who's the biggest loser if these tourists stay in the country? Where aren't they going? Are you obviously you're talking about Paris, Europe, Europe? Wow. It might it might be Southeast Asia. I know a lot of Chinese tourists end up in. Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia, yeah. uh, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia. I think those are the are the big losers. Obviously, this is all predicated on persistent and constant Chinese growth. Whether that happens is anyone's guess. I just also, I don't see. Yeah, I I just don't see. Maybe this is short sighted of me, but it's like everyone's like, "Where are you going this for? Like summer vacation? I'm going to Paris. I'm going to Italy. You know." Oh, where are you going? I'm going to, what is that national park called? <laughs> Shangjiaji? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me and the kids are going to Shangjiaji. Um, I, I just don't see that, that there's going to be that big of a shift. Maybe, again, maybe that's in the short sight, but... Um, You're right, you know, I and, th I think, and I think that is short-sighted. Um, you are short-sighted. You, you dumbass. <laughs> um, what's going to have to change is the paradigm. Right. Yeah. We're going to have to become more knowledgeable about China, uh, Chinese culture and what they have to offer. Doing this little project of mine, I've understood that there is like a Hawaii of China. And I was looking through pictures and man, it looked fucking rad. Why not give that a chance? So things are going to have to change again. It's not going to be our generation. Uh, it's doubtful that it's our kids, but I think our kids, kids for sure. You want to switch us up? You want to take this heat level higher, Nate? It is uh, a little less data-driven, a bit more just pure smoke. So here is my uh, travel take. Fish and friends stink after three days. My take is that it needs to be a universal rule for travel in our 20s and 30s that an invite from a friend should only be extended for three days or three nights. At this point, we have careers, we have routines, and we have created personal spaces, our meccas, our homes that have become sacred ground. Anything more than 72 hours is going to start fucking with the flow of adulthood. And that is where I draw the line. Friendships have been ruined by breaking this rule. Your best friend could be in town, but imagine waking up to the smell of your boy's morning deuce on day five. What about a wet towel on the floor after coming home from a long day of work on day eight? Does that sound like the worst possible thing? Yes, <laughs> it does. So what I'm saying is book this trips and talk with your friends about this before they come and visit you so that you can have the trip be more about the fun times together and not exposing your annoying nuances in hour 96. What are your thoughts, Brad? Uh, it's boundaries. It's all about boundaries. Yeah. I feel like the older you get, you have to set them. And clear communication articulates these boundaries, Nate. And so, mm -hmm. yes, before your friend comes to visit and be like, motherfucker, it is three days and you gots to get the fuck out. Tick tock, it's 72 hours. Yep. And then I think, I think once you establish those, those things, then like the, the whole time can be about enjoying and like no one is that annoying for three days. I mean, there are people who are that annoying, but you They're can few. get through three days of people who are a bit messy or don't have the best hygiene. That's fine. Three days, I, I think you can deal with. But I think it's it's after that that, you know, I, I think about when I was a kid, this is how I learned the rule. My, my parents hosted this Israeli family for, I think, five or six nights. And I was like boys with the guy after day three. By day six, I could I wouldn't have kill him. He got so <laughs> annoying. And he was like two years older than me. So then he started like bullying me in, in sports and stuff. And I was like, you know what? I don't like you're not three days was enough with this guy. You're not going to stay <laughs> at my house and beat me in basketball. And then yeah. sleep. <laughs> he did. I was wearing like Vans and he was like in like Kobe Bryant's. Anyways, that's besides the point. I think there are exceptions to this. I think, you know, family or if someone comes and is like, hey, I just need a place to crash before I can move into my apartment or something like that. Yes. There's expectations, but I think it all stems from clear communication, right? 
I have stepped on this line a little bit. I have a best friend in Charlotte. What up, Andy? And I slept on his couch into my 30s for a couple of days, maybe for a week. I would Airbnb my, my when I was living there, I'd Airbnb my spot for like a long weekend to somebody, re recoup all that money and just be like, yo, I'm going to sleep on your couch for three, four days while I make $400. Is that cool? He'd be like, yeah. After like doing that four or five times, he was like, all right, you got to start paying me some of that money now. I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, fair, 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 fair. But I was thinking when you, when you lay this down, at what age does it change? Like what age do you start caring? Because I feel like after college, when you're young professionals, 22, 23, 24, you could still stay at a friend's house and like rage for four or five days and party because there's yeah. still that college mentality where you are working, you have a career, but it's not that serious and you'd actually just rather be with your friends. Yeah. Do you remember an age where it kind of shifted? Uh, you know, I think when I, I feel like obviously that's timing wise. I, I, when I was 24, I moved to Denver and I think that was kind of the time when I was like, all right, especially I think, you know, thinking about how, if you're not the only one person living in a house, like I didn't want to bother Chad and Andrew. Um, yeah, for sure. but I think there was a time when I had my Australian friend, shout out Tom, uh, stay with me and his flight got canceled on the third day. And so like knowing this rule, I was kind of like, okay, dang. But then he was there for two more nights and I actually had a really good time. Uh, there's I always think, exceptions to it. There's always exceptions, but I think, um, yeah, it definitely was like by the end of it, I think he, but he was very conscious and was like, oh, Nate, like, you know, has things to do. He's, he was very conscious of what I had to be doing, but, um, and that goes yeah. a long way to people who are self-aware. Right. Yeah. If if it's the homie who doesn't have any manners, who's kind of messy and isn't self-aware, like that is a strict 72 hours. Like I'm driving you to the airport at <laughs> 71 yeah. hours. Oh, your flight's in eight hours? Minutes. <laughs> yeah. Tough shit. Have fun at the airport. Um, um, but I'm with you. It, like the older I got and the more stuck in my ways and the more habits I had, then the, then the tougher it was for me to open them up to somebody and to change. Mm -hmm. And I think you hear a lot of that as people get older, people aren't really willing to accommodate or acquiesce to somebody else's shit, you know, once they've gotten older. What's funny is though, I feel like now at my age, there's kind of been like a swing back. So it's like, where yeah, <laughs> I have friends who have kids um, in big homes and they're like, Brad, fucking please come save me. I was like, you got the four year old, you know, the six year old. I really don't want to wake up around, you know, screaming kids or whatever, whatever. And they're just like, no, like fucking please stay, stay with us. I'm being used to like cut the, I don't know, the normalcy or the routine in their house. And I've become that like element of fun that's introduced to their environment. And I thought that that's pretty cool. I was going to make a joke that when I visited you, I knew you'd fallen into those those old habits or you're falling into your routine. So I was like, I got to limit this to 16 hours. <laughs> Screw three days. It's going to be 16 hours. I'm in and out. Nate came to visit me uh, during the pandemic and showed up eight hours late and then left like two hours after you woke up in the morning. I'm not going to say I was offended by that at all, but you know. Hey, well, you know, sometimes it, well, it's not your choice when you're on the hog. The hog you're, makes the choice. You're on the braps and the braps. Thank you. Uh, well, yep, that's my hot take. I uh, feel good. We came out with a little bit of heat, getting into a good rhythm here in this episode. So what crazy thing are we doing next? <laughs> we're going to get to what Nate calls the meat of our... Why do I keep talking like that? Uh, really uncomfortable. This season is all about the feels, apparently. We tackled regret on episode two, and now we're going to get real vulnerable again and confront our fears in a little game of travel fear factor. My only question is, who's going to be Joe Rogan, Nate? Not me. Definitely have, not me. You don't have a good Joe Rogan impersonation? Definitely not. What, what would it be like? It'd be like, just, I wouldn't say anything. It'd be like, oh, cool. Um, you want to hit this joint or <laughs> yeah. take some DMT? Anyways... Instead of eating spiders and swimming through sewage dumps, we're going to confront our own fears head on. So cue the dramatic music. Nate, you're up first. You can eat this big bowl of rotten llama testicles, or you can tell us one of your biggest travel fears. I will take the latter on this. And I think, you know, as this goes on and, and you know, friends and those nearby start listening to this, they're going to probably start peeing Nate. 
it's clear that you didn't want to go to therapy, and so you're using Brad in this podcast as a way to really vet something. Brad is nodding his head like, yeah. <laughs> they should have heard our <laughs> yeah. pre-pod, uh, pre-pod discussion yesterday. Pre-pod meltdown. Um, <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll just get into it. I think that my first travel fear kind of starts on something I mentioned before. I did two weeks by myself in Portugal in November uh, on a motorcycle, and I think from a distance, this looks like an absolute dream trip. You know, you're going through a sick place and doing cool things. And I get there in the first three days and I'm like, I am miserable. Why am I not happy? I'm not connecting with anyone. And I'm kind of like, what the fuck? So I kind of thought about it. And when you set off on your own, you kind of have to strip yourself of your creature comforts, your home, your tight uh, community, your support system, your identity, your ego. And what that leaves you with is yourself and all that shit you haven't dealt with. Haven't mourned your grandfather's passing? Bang. Insecurities about your self-worth? Hello. (laughs) This is what I'm afraid of, to be stripped back to myself and have to hit these things straight on. And I think that's also the terrible irony for a solo traveler. To to get to this point, you're going to have to go to a lot of effort, spend a lot of money to get there. But then once you're there, you're stuck dealing with it alone. The person at the hostel isn't going to fucking help you out in this case. (laughs) This isn't the first time I felt this either, which was kind of a a big realization. And I know we mentioned our boy Joe Rogues in Fear Factor. He'd say fear is not a factor for you. I think the reality and the real fear and and kind of the apprehension is that this isn't going to go anywhere. I'm going to have to sit with myself and my shit no matter where I am or what I'm doing. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So what are your thoughts on that, Brad? The first thing that popped to my mind is the saying, no matter where you go, there you are. Mm. Right? Have you heard that before? No, but I like it. it sounds like a good first tattoo for me. <laughs> After meow. Yeah. Um, and so in that sense, we've had people, we've joked about people saying, when you travel, it's like, what are you running from? Like, what are you running from your problems? And the fucking joke on us or the joke on everybody is you can't run from your <laughs> yeah, fucking problems yeah. and you can't run from yourself. I want to go back to this point that you had about irony. It's like to get to this moment, you have to go alone. It, it's the solo traveler's dirty little secret that this always will come up. Because if you went with your best mate or your girlfriend or with your partner, y'all shit would come up, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, Whatever you would say to your boy you don't like about him, you guys would bump out about that. Whatever you and your girlfriend had underlying in the relationship for the past six months, that's what's likely going to come up. So the personal position you find yourself in is it's not anybody else's shit. It's your shit that comes bubbling up. And man, yeah, fucking sucks. (laughs) Sometimes I don't really know what to say about it other than I feel you, brother. (laughs) I've been there and it's not great. I'm still going to go travel anyway. What about you? Yeah, I think that's the, I'm going to continue to do it. I think the awareness goes a long way. Um, And I think, you know, knowing that I've done this a handful of times and how I dealt with it the other times, it really does happen when you're alone. So knowing that that's, this probably will happen, I think is the, one of the best ways to make sure that you know how to deal with it. And do you know how to deal with it though? I think that's where I need a professional help, Brad. Um, and is but, that where the is that where the fear like kind of kicks in? Yeah, you still feel like you don't know how to address this or where where it's coming from. Yeah, and I think or when it's going to come up. I, I think it's as I've as I've gotten older, I feel like I have there's new emotions that I haven't dealt with, and I think for so much of my twenties, it's just been kind of moving, continuing to move, and not having to think about some of these things. And so by me prolonging it, by doing all these fun trips and and doing all these things, probably why this was so hard in Portugal is I had a really big run of 18 months in Denver where I'm busy, I have this new relationship, I'm successful, I have all these things and no time to process it. And then it's like, you take me out and then three days later, bang, I'm in the middle of Portugal, no one wants to talk to me. And you're sitting alone on the little motorcycle being like, fuck. And I think that's probably why this hit harder than before, than any other of those other ones before, because of the run up. Um, go, 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 go. And yeah. You and, us. and yeah, I, I, there are things, you know, that I didn't, I don't think took the time to process. So I think maybe the, the lesson is 
kind of maybe deal with your shit before you go on this and kind of say, hey, how, what are some things that might hit me? I don't know. Ooh, can I interrupt? Yeah. I think maybe a cool practice would be like knowing that it's going to come up. Like, what are you prepared to get into if mm. it does? Right? Like, what are you willing to address? Or what's something that you know you've been putting off thinking about? Or a letter or email you want to write to somebody or something? What if before you go, you kind of say, hey, these are some things I feel like are sitting, like I feel like are bubbling up. All right, let's be aware of them. Set aside some time on the trip just to get into it straight away instead of waiting for the wave to crash. Mm. I just thought about that. I've never done that myself, but it's it's a way of being proactive about it, no? Let's stop this podcast now and go out and try it. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely, I want you to do that before we record another feels podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, sounds good. All right, well, let's head to you, Brad. Um, you can either bathe for an hour in the venom of a hundred cobras. They have venom, right? <laughs> or <laughs> you can tell us one of your travel fears. Uh, I'm going to pass on the cobras, though... When I was in, this is a good little travel story. When I was, I did a winter study. Are you putting ab- off sh- sharing your fear? <laughs> what? What? And what are you talking about? I'm are you deflecting? About deflecting? I gotta tell the story. Um, so this one time, um, I ran from my problems and went to Nicaragua and Costa Rica. They, I got over my fear of spiders. I went with like an arachnid. What do you call somebody who studies spiders? An arachno person? Anyways, he got me to like get over my spider fear. And then we were there. We waded into my snake fear. They caught cobras live, like fucking crazy poisonous cobras and then held them down while we like touched them. And I was like, whoa, I couldn't do it. I mean, I'm still not, I think I'm still not jazzed about it, but I probably would fuck something up by me getting so anxious that they'd probably sense it. And Oh, I mean, this was like a deadly deadly snake in Latin America, Central America to be exact. I forget the name. Um, oh, it's going to kill me. But it was like on the ground at night, five foot long, and it was pissed. And I was like, guys, are we sure we want to do this? And I did it anyway. But anyways, so <laughs> I'll stop deflecting and get in and choose my fear. I'm scared of myself getting wasted alone on the road. I don't know how to say this without sounding like a douche, but uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I've done some pretty stupid shit and some dodgy stuff. I've seen some dodgy stuff. I haven't done real dodgy shit. And so I guess it's now time to talk about it. I want to address the alcohol first because I feel like that's that's the main driver behind a lot of these super stupid decisions. When you get drunk where you live with friends, you're insulated from a lot of risk. Your habits, tribal knowledge, your friends should be enough to minimize your exposure. You have data points to help predict the outcome of your night. When you get drunk by yourself in a foreign land, there are no variables. You're completely exposed, a wounded gazelle on the Serengeti. Anything can happen, particularly if you have a penchant for zero fucks in good times, which I am known to have. Nate, would you agree with these philosophical alcohol observations? Definitely. I feel like that's why it's good to get all your drunk mistakes out in college. College drinking is like the is like bowling with bumper rails on. <laughs> you avoid most of the gutter balls of life. So I just didn't have a whole lot of that on the road. And in these last couple of big trips I went on, my blackout started getting really bad. I don't know about you, Nate. I never blacked out for most of my youth or drinking career. But the last like five years, I started waking up and not remembering how I got there. And so I think it was age, but it, yeah, it, it was pretty bad. It just didn't start like five years ago. It started the very first time I left the country on my own. When I went to Spain to study abroad, my first week I was there, I got roofied and all my shit stole. Because <laughs> I was out boozing by myself in Spain and didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So yeah, it's been happening for a long time. I'm going to run through some shit right now. Dad, if you're listening, just go, hmm, or, <laughs> or skip forward for the next 20 seconds. Uh, so here it is. I've been stuck in the ghettos of Panama. I've been in Brazil. I've been stranded with ex-cons, pimps, prostitutes, shady club owners, drug dons in Colombia. I've been roofied. I've been duped. I've been drugged. I scaled a 12-foot concrete wall covered in broken glass at 5 a.m. to get out of a slum a couple years ago. I've been robbed. I've run from the cops and from machete-wielding thieves. 
And I think <laughs> I've just, I'm fucking scared of myself now and that it's the last couple of years where it's really sunk in. I don't know if I have more to care about or if I've just gotten older and I see kind of like my mortality is a lot more present. But yeah, I I just, I don't really want to be doing that. And I haven't had the self-control to stop on my own for most of those years. And I just don't want to push my luck any further. I'm like sweating. <laughs> just just talking about this. Yeah, that's that. Again, probably should have stopped a long time ago, but there were also some good times in there. So Well, yeah, I think that's the, the, the risk reward you, you have with that is... You got to drink to have to create the good, the magic, the stories, the you know, put yourself in that position. But I think I always, that's the thing is like I've always stopped myself. Would have been like, okay, can I still deal with danger and issues? And it was actually horrifying the blacking out at the full moon party and like coming to my senses, being like, I don't know where I was for the last three hours, and I'm trying to yeah. I've already told that story. I, one, I don't have that gene. I don't have that. I can stop a gene. I, if anything, I'm like, let's double down. let's let the dice roll and i just think i'm fucking lucky and i just want to articulate that right now i feel very grateful that i didn't hurt myself that i didn't hurt anybody else that i didn't end up in jail that um with kids yeah with kids though i don't really know to be honest with you if we want to be really real (laughs) that should be really the real big pair (laughs) how many little brads are roaming around the world there are uh, there are certainly I don't know. And it doesn't scare me, but I know that's part of my past too. Like I've certainly been in situations with women that got messy and I'm not really sure what happened um, after yeah. because it was just a drunk mess for everybody. And I just rolled on and I'm, you know, probably didn't see a lot of those people again. So ugh. I'm going to leave that into the pod in the podcast, everybody. I'm not too happy about it, but that is also part of me. So um yeah and that's what i'm scared of too like i've just made a bunch of shitty fucking decisions all alcohol infused and i think i'm tired of it and i think i've grown out of it i've been grown out of it and i'm ready to try something different so that's part of the reason probably why i haven't been drinking for the last year or so so anyway i don't think that would be my future of travel moving forward i hope it's not but i'd got to a point where it became uncomfortable uh, on a couple of levels. And in the beginning, in my early 20s, it was like, ha, 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 I'll tell this stupid story, nothing wrong happened. But when you're doing that into your 30s and later, I start looking around like, are you fucking really still doing this dumb shit? Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm at. Enough of that fear and that shame. I'm going to keep it moving. All right, Nate, you can shove this rusty prison shank into your thigh. <laughs> Or you can tell us your last travel fear. What will you do? Uh, I'm my tetanus shot is not updated, so I'm gonna take the ladder. Are um, you are you serious? I actually need to get an updated te- tetanus shot too. I think. Yeah. Also, this is a podcast, and you're in Montana. I'm in uh, Colorado, so I don't think there's any physical way you could <laughs> stab me with that. Luckily, but um, I guess I guess that forces I, me just I, to get into I it. I slipped it to Mama Sunday. Mama Sunday's yeah. got it in the kitchen. Uh, yeah. Again, I'm deflecting. I'm at my parents' house. I had to find a, a vulnerable place to do the uh, podcast. Um, well, I will get into this. Um, my second fear here. Um, I think I've I've mentioned this a fair bit. The A one biggest travel goal of mine, this kind of end all be all, the big Kahuna of travel, is for me to drive um, from Alaska to Argentina in one go. I first saw the the guys from uh, North Face and Patagonia do it in. 100 degrees south, and I've pretty much been hooked on that idea ever since. Uh, I haven't even gone to South America because I'm like, I'm saving it for this big trip. When I first moved to Denver, I was like, this is going to happen in 2020, 2021. And, uh, at the, you know, that obviously hasn't happened. <laughs> but also, it wouldn't have happened. I think during that time, I've, I've developed quite the life here in Denver with, you know, a career that's finally taking off, a lovely girlfriend, and a close-knit community of friends and family that... I think I've been wanting for a very long time. So now I'm a homeowner. Yeah. I also have that. So now at 27, I feel, I feel like that's a young age, but, um, still I, I definitely feel like I'm at this kind of heavy crossroads as this trip I've dreamt about. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this, it is like grabbed the depths of my soul. (laughs) Um, in my mind is like the ideal version of me. And it's like, if all of my other travels, my whole life has been like going through the video game, this is the final boss. This is the the final big one that I have to go prove myself on. So knowing this, I continue to get more and more settled. 
while this dream of mine seems further and further out of the picture. So I think I'm, I'm holding these two opposing dreams. One is continuing this great life I have in Denver and then going on um, this trip that I've always been called to, all this trip I've always been uh, meaning to do. I feel like I can't, I have to drop one to hold the other and it scares me shitless that I could potentially make the wrong decision. If I don't go, I'm choosing money and stability over adventure, humanity, and a pursuit of an experience that I always uh, prided myself on. If I do go... Am I turning my back on a lot of really good things here just to stroke my own ego? That's kind of the, <laughs> the. I'm just gonna interrupt you here unless unless you need to expand on that more. One, motherfucker, you gave me all this fluff and stroking of where you were, whatever. What's the fear, bro? Like, what are you really scared of? Of this trip? Of making this trip? Of not making this trip? Of making the wrong decision it's that i think my i think the the fear in all this is that i'm gonna have to give something up um is is that is that true though you can't hold both dreams do you really think i don't know what's this trip look like is it eight months is it a year i think i've scaled it back to eight months but in reality i probably want it to be 12 14 months what do you, are you scared you, you don't know how to navigate it? And why this trip? I, I think that would be important for our listeners. Like, what about this fucking trip? I want I to think know. It's, it's, I've been building it up for 12, 15 years. And the idea that, um, I think that the idea that life happens um, and that there's a kind of a ticking time bomb on this that, Life's going to come at you pretty fast in the third. And again, I know that you did all this, but I think the the idea that is if I don't do this now and in doing it now in my 20s or doing it now, you know, at the cusp of 30 is going to be a lot better than doing it at 50 or 60. Because obviously these places aren't going anywhere, but I feel like doing it at this time is the way to do it. But I also feel like I am now, there's more to sacrifice, more to lose in the life that I've built here, I think after, you know, leaving DC and traveling for three years and not having that stable life and, and all of those things that I've really wanted in Denver that I now have having to, to throw back and start from scratch is fucking scary. Mm. I don't like the idea of having to come back to Denver and being like going through the motions again. Like obviously you're, you're right that things don't change, but the idea of having to start from scratch and building a new community, a new career, and doing that again, I don't know if I have it in me to do that again. <laughs> you fucking dick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, that's, uh, fucking, that's fucking real. Bro, that's fucking scary. And I'm going to be pretty blunt here to the listeners. That's why a lot of people don't go fucking traveling for long yeah. periods of time, because people don't have the fucking stones to do that shit. And and I'm not sure you understand it either. I'm gonna I'm on a fucking soapbox. When you leave everything, friends, family, partners, jobs, and stuff like that, and you have to come back and start all over again, over and over again, or even if it's just one big restart, that shit is difficult. It is uncomfortable. It is constantly uncomfortable. People lose trust in you. They um you know they don't know if when you're gonna leave again and stuff like that and. Friend circles do change, but that courage and that idea just to say, fuck it, I believe in, 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 in this ideal, in, in, yeah, what I wanted to be doing, yeah. whatever, um, and you have that in you and you have to listen to that, then you have to do that. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, coming back and, and trying to get into real estate after being gone for a year, I don't want to have to go through that same shitty year where I didn't have a single transaction. Um, and just decided to podcast. I'm just, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's like the idea that it's like, it's not like I can come back and start making all this money. I think it's, it would be a huge detriment to my career. And maybe that's the, the fear is that uh, I guess that's the bigger thing is like, do I even want to, would I even want to come back to Denver is yeah, I probably should think about that. Or if, do you want to sacrifice that for an adventure? All right. Yeah. We're going to stop this because this transitions great into my fear. Y'all don't know it yet. 
I actually was I'm, just thinking the same thing, Brad. <laughs> I'm just going right, to pick Brad. up on that, so let's get to it. <laughs> All right. Would you rather walk across this tightrope 1,000 feet above the ground, or are you going to do what you're meant to do and entertain us, buck up, and tell us another travel fear? <laughs> I'm going with the travel fear, and let's stop playing the games. I'm just picking up where we just left off. I'm afraid it all really wasn't worth it. Or if it still is, this commitment should travel to a way of life. For 20 years, I've used travel to blow up my identity. That's how I see it, at least. To push the boundaries of what I thought I knew about the world and about myself. I've told you this before, Nate. I feel as if I've pushed my comfort zone so far that being uncomfortable is my new comfort zone. Drop me in any city in the world and I could survive. Like, I wear that. I think that mm -hmm. that's yeah. what I've gotten. But as I sit here now, I've been questioning what it's got me. We proselytize this way of life, traveling with true freedom, living in the moment, bucking societal norms, experiences over money, yada, 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 yada. But I look around and that's not what I'm surrounded by. This isn't a midlife crisis. I see the value in what I've learned and what I've lived. But also, <laughs> I'm really wondering if I played my hand wrong. I'm living alone, broke in the middle of nowhere, and it's testing my faith. So there you have it. That's your fear manifest, Nate. Do you, do you go to Patagonia <laughs> and <laughs> risk possibly ending up like me, or do you not? And it doesn't have to be either way, right? I think there, that's the... No. And you could be better with money. <laughs> and uh, you established a career. I've just kind of been bouncing around, um, doing odd jobs and doing stuff. So I'm not trying to put where where I am now completely on travel and the and my commitment to travel. I certainly could, I think, have been better um, with a couple more real-life decisions. But... I've chosen to live for seeing the world and developing myself and pushing this kind of inner identity and inner experience of getting to know or stripping back enough to feel like I knew who I was and what I wanted. And travel really helped me do that. And anything, think go ahead. Do you think being back here in Montana in this state makes you question that? Like, do you feel like you said you're feeling like you know who you were, but does being back in Montana make you feel like you're re-questioning when I'm, when I'm not, when I'm not traveling and I'm in America and I look around and I'm surrounded by like consumerists and, um, you know, a society and a culture that I don't really connect to then I, yeah, I, I lose faith a bit because I don't really belong here. Hmm. Like my ideas and my way of living isn't really American or capitalist. It's difficult because the conversations I have with people and the way I see the world doesn't really match up with a lot of people I meet in Montana or the U.S., to be honest. I want to get back to how travel got me kind of on the good foot and how this all kind of started with me. And maybe that illuminates some of what Patagonia might mean for you. Mm -hmm. um, that's bold to say, but this first happened in 2003. My brother passed, my older brother passed away in 2000 and I was fucked. I didn't find a lot of community or support even in, within my own family. I didn't find a whole lot of joy in my life. Because, yeah, that shit fucking rocked our world. It, like, shattered everything. And I went to study abroad in Spain. And it was the first time in a long time where I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is fun. This is cool. This is a new way to live. This is a new world to see. And it uplifted my spirits. And I grew tremendously. And I changed. And I think that just started to snowball. And so then in Brazil, 2006... I was wearing banana hammocks. <laughs> I was dancing sober in streets, you know, like nobody was watching. 
I became comfortable with my body and sexuality, not in like in some freaky way or some like really abnormal way, but the way that they just approach sex and how you, you know, talk to a woman, it just blew my mind. And that, that blew my worldview and blew who I was up even further. And it just, it kept happening and happening and happened. Cuba, I dropped consumerism. India, I shaved my head. I stopped caring about what I looked like. I said, fuck my cool clothes. And I just kept blowing this up and up and up. And travel was the healer or travel was the, the guide for me to continue to blow up my worldview, blow up the idea of have of myself and when I started stripping all these things away, it wasn't a trip necessarily, but it was what happened when I was there, what I learned about myself that I was there. Then I got closer and closer. I got rid of all the external stuff and I got closer to what I felt like who I was and what I wanted. And so I don't know if you feel like your Patagonia trip would be something like that for you, but and again, to go back to the point, I really value and I understand that all that and that I wouldn't be who I am today without that. I've changed from that 22-year-old who went to Spain. I am a radically different person. Radically. Yeah. And I'm a radically different person than who my friends have known in the, from the last five years to 10 years to 15 to 20. Every five years or so, I've made a zig or a zag. But I can't help that I still feel like I don't belong. I don't have, uh, I don't own much. I don't, you know, fit into society here. And when you're stuck, maybe stuck is the wrong way to say that, but when you're in a place where you feel all that, it really puts you up against if you believe what you did and what you've done and the choices you've made. And I think that's where I'm at. So, Yeah. Well, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think after all of our conversations before the podcast, I feel like somehow doing the podcast, um, a lot got more vulnerable. Further, got us for, further along and in, in, um, a bit more clarity. But, I, you know, I think it's always evolving too, right? You could think about, change the way you're thinking about it every single day. Um, I, I go back to, well, it's all I have. I just go back to faith and trying to believe that whatever I was listening to inside myself, the intuition to keep traveling and to keep doing this work, was what I needed. And I'm going to continue to work and try and become a better person and maybe see the world or do something else. And I hope it fucking hits. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about where my next paycheck is coming from. Uh, does that wrap us up? Do you have anything I think it else does. you want to uh, come fear, up with? Fear kind of still a factor for us. <laughs> but <laughs> Definitely right. just as uncomfy as we promised it was. All right. So shake well, it up. Let's let's get uh we have a great fucking destination. Yeah. They, last they get it's us our there. last last segment here. It is the travel bangers. <laughs> which I've since realized can only be said in conjunction with some wild ass reggae horns. Shout out to Brad on all of these edits. We are going to a place this week that simply does not miss. It is a guaranteed grand slam. Where are we going this week, Brad? This week, we are taking a long, and I mean long, flight to Melbourne, Australia. Nate, do you want to hit us with a proper pronunciation pronunciation of Melbourne? Now I'm getting um, Melbourne. Oh, I think Ooh, I hit it there. Off the jump. We're just going to say this now. If you're in Australia, Oz slang is what they call it um it's pronounced melbourne melbourne did i just butcher it yeah, i don't know let's just get this out of the way we're not going to pronounce it that way we know how to pronounce it if i was in australia for my australian friends i would attempt to pronounce it correctly every time i said it but not on we this are we we understand that we are wanky and a bit pretentious but not that wanky and pretentious is what yes. we're trying to say <laughs> yes we're not going to try too hard so anyways we're going to Melbourne, Australia. When I flew to Melbourne in 2010, I watched three movies on the plane, fell asleep, woke up, and still had six hours left on the flight. But trust me, it was worth it. And if you don't believe me, Melbourne was voted the most livable city in the world for seven years in a row by an organization that me measures such things. And if you trust Time Out Magazine readers, it was also named the happiest city in the world in 2019. Banger! Banger! We, we've we both been... So, Nate, what's got you hyped to go back to Melbs? 
It's funny you mentioned that. I know we just got a bit vulnerable in the, the meaty section of the pod here, but uh, I think the most vulnerable thing I could say right now is that I was born and raised in Scottsdale, which um, is deemed the most livable city, and it doesn't hold a and fucking it, candle. Is that's it the like, most livable city in the U.S., really? No, no, no. That's like its its slogan is most oh, livable city. They would but fucking it doesn't, say that, fucking Scottsdale. <laughs> but it, it doesn't hold a candle, Melbourne, because... It is just like this amazing blend of everything is just deliberate. Every person's beautiful. There's all these parks. It's the cafes. It's like the you've got European influences, Asian influences with this like fucking sick one of a kind. That's that Australian energy that uh, that really makes it one of a kind. But what about you, Brad? What is making you eager to go back? It's that Australian energy. And I'm just going to get it out of the way now. It's been no secret. I am a fan of the Australians. Uh, it's the only reason I went to Australia in the first place and Melbourne. It's because of the people. I love them. And it's pretty much the principal reason I go back. Uh, this differs in a way from, say, Germany. I love German culture, but I'm not really going there for the people. <laughs> no offense to my German homies. You know who you are. Yeah. Nate, what's the American equivalent to that? With the of the people? Yeah. Like I love California, but I don't want to go to Cal I don't like Californians? Yes. What's the what's the American equivalent? Is it California? Yeah, I would probably say so. I think mine's California I think mine's Boston or New England. You love New England, but I, I you're love, not a big fan of New Englanders. <laughs> I like Rhode Island, I like the coast of Maine, I like Boston, but Boston people can fucking miss me. <laughs> Is there going to be anyone by the, by the end of all this plotting? We're just going to be like completely outcast every single form of people. <laughs> all right. Anyways, Melbourne is fucking awesome. So let's get into it. We're trying to adjust how this this segment flows. We're just going to do what we're really jazzed. What we're jazzed about doing what we're really into. So Nate, what do, what do you really want to do in Melbourne this time around? Every single week that we talk about, hey, what are we going to talk about this week? I'm like, how can I weave in sports? Because I fucking love sports. <laughs> but I uh, I read this quote somewhere that's like, the only thing that people in Melbourne talk about is the footy, the cricket, and the weather. That's it, Brad. And I think that is my kind of city. Um, the it's a competitive people. People are passionate about everything, but they have like kind of like Americans, but their sports, unlike ours, are like different, ex exciting, fun twists on the sports that we know and love. Netball. It's basically like ba uh, basketball without the, the backboard and moving shots. You got Aussie rules football. You have cricket, which people still can't explain to me i still no, it, there's no there's no way to explain it in a short little tidbit but i'm getting big baseball vibes from cricket but the thing that's different about it is there's like smaller ah, fuck I can't, i'm getting caught up in it again <laughs> it basically because it happens so rare there's a bit more of a special atmosphere it's like the fun leisureness of it but there's a fun atmosphere to it and people get ripped um and there's some shorter tests that are easier to uh, digest and enjoy but on the real i'm here to discuss Aussie rules football because it is something unlike any other sport. The field's like three times the size of a football field, 18 really? on 18. Wow. And you can use your hands, your feet, everything. You can run with it. You can dribble it. It is like the craziest combination of sports, and they are absolutely crazy for it. Melbourne hosts the final. They host it in the cricket ground, which is 90,000 fans. And it's been an active sport in Australia for 150 years. So there's like wow. generations and legends and like – that's older than American football then, right? Yeah, and I think pretty comparable to the age of hockey, but a bit more of a big arena sport. So I think it, it looks like, from the videos I was watching earlier today, which got me way too hyped up, it looks like the perfect type of atmosphere that even someone who's not a big sport head like me could get behind. And it's just like, what the fuck am I watching? Don't know, but it's sick. <laughs> and they're not Hitting wearing big hits. <laughs> yeah, big hits and not wearing pads or headgear. Yeah. It's like Gladiator's 21st century version. These yeah. just absolute monsters of men. It's a, just fucking... it's a lot more, yeah, it's a lot more free-throwing than rugby. So it just seems like, it's like, what, why the ball over there? Bang, whoa, ah, yeah, the score. And that is what I'm, uh, that's what I'm here for. And that's what I'm excited to see. It's rare that, you know, I've seen a lot of sports live, but that is one I have not. And that is a one on my list of, uh, of things to go back to and see. You want to fill your sports cup. Fill, fill it right up. Exactly. <laughs> I'm with you on this. Uh, I've found Australians to be the most competitive 
sports-loving people I've ever met outside of Americans. I feel like they'd fit in great at a tailgate here in the U.S. And that's kind of what I'd be interested in doing. What's the pregame like in Australia? What's a pregame before an Australian ruse? I have no idea, but I want to find out. Yeah, probably a lot of beer. I'm sure there is. In what capacity? I do want to mention here before we move on from sports, like they have cool social sports too. I did something when I was there the first time, lawn bowling. Or I think they just call it lawn bowls or bowls, bowls, the bowls, the bowls, bowling. Um, It's fucking Australian slang. It's a cool night out. Basically just, it's like glorified bocce ball. It's just a way to booze, shit talk with friends. And it's a cool little, but like the grounds are like really cool uh, spaces. Like it's like a, yes, there's always like clubs and like cultural clubs and manicured like green lawns. It's outdoors and the weather usually in Melbourne is, is. Especially, it's like kind of like the pickle, it's now like the pickleball courts of, uh. Oh, don't fucking put it in pickleball (laughs) category. I can't stand fucking pickleball. That's another person who just dropped the podcast. All right, let's get out of sports then. (laughs) What are, what's getting you jazzed up? I want to, uh, really dig into Melbourne's art scene when I go back. I love a good European art museum, the old masters, et cetera. But Australia isn't the old world, Nate. It's that new, new. And they've really embraced the role, contemporary art, architecture, fashion. They've got a vibrant music scene and street art, which you know is right up my alley. It's all become part of this visual tapestry and happenings in Melbourne. And I think that's what really gives it this refreshing vibe. Drink. Uh, They are conscious creators of what their city looks and feels like. And I just don't think that that's common around the world. I kind of skirted around that the last time I was there, but this time back, I really want to sink my teeth into what they're doing, what's happening, who are the creators, the players, and what it really feels like. I have this idea that Melbourne is like Los Angeles, but without Hollywood. This undulating Mm -hmm. sprawl of unique neighborhoods. There's something for everyone. It is known as the cultural capital of Australia. So I want to see if it's got the goods and how as it pertains to art. So you want to get lost in it. You want to get just on like a little, little wild path where you don't know what will happen, but you just want to find a way to weasel your way in there and see what happens. Yeah. I want to rub shoulders with artists and like smoke cigarettes and uh, you don't have a podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and invite them on my podcast. I want to do yeah. all that, all the things. <laughs> so, I think that's two down. We've got two left. What else do you have to offer well, our I listening, think, our dwindling listening audience? Yeah, I am. You know, I went the first time I went. I just biked around, got like a quick hit, kind of like most places I go. But I kind of want to go back and immerse myself in a neighborhood. And I think from the looks of it, from what I've read and what I've seen, St. Kilda is that neighborhood. It is just a bit southeast of the CBD, the business district, and it's got a mix of nightlife, world-class eateries, cafes, Brad. You said not to talk about cafes. I love the cafes in Melbourne. And grade A recreation, I will mention it has this old, cool amusement park called Luna Park, uh, but that's not what got my attention. There's a place down by the water uh, called Rolla Bay, and it's where you can rent roller skates, and they're like really cool roller blades and roller skates, like high octane, cool ones. Not like the shitty ones you have at Skate City Arvada. Shout out Skate City Arvada. <laughs> but these are like cool high octane ones. They have lessons, they have pads, they have yoga classes. If that is not what the cornerstone of culture is, I don't know. Like it has to be a cool spot. Outside of the blades, I want to get amongst the nightlife. Uh, I think there's a number of clubs that are open 24 hours of the day, and it seems like one of those perfect recipes where you can find the energy just to stay up and watch a, a beachside sunset. I think with the proximity to downtown and then some of the, the you know Brighton Beach and other attractions further down the coast, this would be a really good place to set up shop for the week and stay in. I know you've been, Brad. Was it worth the hype that I'm hyping up right here? Yeah, absolutely. It's... It's a neighborhood I would want to be in for sure. There's some other ones, Fitzroy and some other spots around town, but St. Kilda is the jump off. And if I'm not mistaken, sorry, Aussie friends, if I get this wrong, it's by the water slash on the water, but a bay, not like a spectacular beach or surfable waves or anything, but it gets you where you want to be on the water. And any metropolis like this, where you can be that close to the water and a night out, I think it really puts them in a position to to be a great city. All right. Well, take us home, Brad. Four out of four. What's going on? You know, it's funny. We, I feel like we do this 
every other podcast is like, let's go to the city, but then also let's leave the city. So yeah, this is such a sick city, but also don't <laughs> don't ever sleep on this. Yes, you should also get out of there for a little while. So that's what we're doing. Once we've had our fill of the cultural happenings and food, which we didn't talk about, we can maybe talk about that at the end, the food. But Melbourne is perfectly positioned as a launch pad to the coast, specifically the Great Ocean Road. This is the premier stretch of coastline exploration in Australia. Think uh, the Pacific Coast Highway or the, what was this place in South Africa we talked about? Oh, the, um, oh, was, yeah, was that the, their the, Great the, Ocean that was, Road? Yeah, that was just something like that, but that but still gets me riled up. Same vibes, drink. So <laughs> grab a car, grab a partner and let it rip. It starts about an hour south of Melbourne proper at a place called Bell's Beach. And if any, if there are any Point Break fans out there, that should sound familiar. Bodie, the Hundred Year Storm. This is the historic and spiritual home of Australian surfing. It's a great place to kick off the trip and just kind of, you know, really build those surf wave coast exploration. I'm not gonna say it again. Uh, things that you want to have in your life. Uh, from there, you just bounce and bop along a 150 mile stretch of coastline. You go from quirky seaside towns to beautiful lookouts. Another thing you absolutely can't miss is the Twelve Apostles. What that is is a group of rock formations, rock stacks, just off the coast. It looks like a fucking movie. It is a postcard. Unlike anything but it looks you've ever like, seen, yeah. Yeah, it looks like a postcard. There's actually only eight of the 12 apostles left. Classic mix-up. Yeah, I mean, who was responsible for that? But that's it. I did the trip proper with an Australian lady, and all I can say is that it was one for the books. As a... On, on paper, one of the most romantic things you could ever do. I mean, the water swirling at sunset... Over the eight apostles uh, with a girl who has an Australian accent. That doesn't sound like there's uh like that could be it for you. <laughs> it almost was it for me. Unfortunately, uh, that relationship. We need a whole other podcast. <laughs> Run the vulnerability yeah. back. One little uh, quick little tangent to this driving road trip thing is it's left side driving. Wait, no, right side driving on left side yeah, on of the, the road. Left side of the road, right side of the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Which is always a cool box to tick. From my point yeah. of view, so if anybody's never done that, I think Australia Australia is a better place to do it than into uh, than England. Oh, I agree. It's just more wide open and less confusing. Though I will say this, I did drive one night under the influence of alcohol, and I was completely driving on the wrong side of the road in in a neighborhood I shouldn't have been. And uh, let that be a lesson to you, kids. Don't do so. Don't do it. I think that rounds us out. Can we just talk about food real quick? What do you know about the food in Melbourne? Uh, well, I feel like that they they have such a high standard of cuisine and, and food there that if it's not really, really good, you can't make it in this city. No. And it's just absolute, just fucking hitter after hitter. Yeah. And they really embrace and love Asian culture. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a part of their fabric and who they are as a city. They have a, a ton of immigrants from that part of the world. So, I mean, you're talking Thai, Vietnamese... Filipino, Indian, Malaysian, Indian yeah. Malaysian, the whole nine, they have it all. And it is just, I mean, even, even the Japanese and Chinese influence, like who am I, what am I fucking forgetting? Like that is right there too. Yeah. I had, um, God damn, if I mess this up, I had some of the best like chili fired, uh, fried chicken. I, I forget if it's fucking Cantonese or something. I, it's one of those meals, top 10 meal of my life. And it was in my, wow. but it was Chinese. It was just authentic, straight. I believe our boy, Tony Bourdain gave me that hit. Um, mm. and Rest in power, Tony. Yeah. And it was nuts. So we didn't do a good job explaining it necessarily, but just know that the food in Melbourne is, should be probably like half the reason you go. It hits. Yeah. And it is. And just, bring, bring, it's not the, not the cheapest city. Um, no, food and things are like not that bad, but alcohol. Big hack with alcohol is that oh. if you want to get drunk, wine is the pretty much the only avenue because beer is like fifty dollars for a twenty-four box. Um, you're you're that's more a case than of beer for you normal people. two dollars two dollars a beer, which is you know you're trying to keep it under a dollar a beer. Um, I think we didn't uh, we didn't say that either. Uh, 
Melbourne, just outside of Melbourne, is the Yarra Valley, and there's a ton of vineyards in and around mm-hmm. Melbourne, and they, I mean, it's world-famous wine. Yep. I'm, I'm not in on the Australian wine tip, but that is also there for you, too. Wine, winery tours in the whole nine. So... Does that get us out the door? I think that gets us out the door. I think it gets out the door. Any shouts uh, to any Australian people you know? You want to yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I'm going to give a shout to Claire. Uh, I met Claire at the Melbourne Museum. I saw her rollerblading and I said, "That's you're really good. That's really cool. So I started talking to her and she basically gave me the inspiration to get blades. So Claire, thank you for this journey. I'm going to come back and show you that I can skate now. <laughs> That's why I'm going back. Uh, any shout outs to you? So basically this whole segment could have been a lot shorter and just been like, yo, Nate's going back <laughs> to Melbourne just to rollerblade and to meet his, uh, what would you even call it? Was blade your... sensei. Yeah, 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 your blade sensei. She's the uh, Mr. Miyagi on blades. <laughs> I have a ton of friends in Australia and I would just love to see them again. Did we say this at the beginning of the pod that you would live in Australia if you had the chance? I think I said it. I basically, if if my life, you know, I had to start over tomorrow, I probably Melbourne would probably be my favorite city or most excited city to live in in the world. I think it is. It is from three days. I was like, that's it. I've seen enough. I'm ready to move. <laughs> I spent two weeks there, and I went to Sydney to spend a couple of days in Sydney. I flew back to Melbourne like after a day. Um, a <laughs> yeah. girl, a girl might have been part of that decision, but it is also if my brother and his family didn't live on the east coast of the United States, and I didn't love them dearly, I would absolutely live in Melbourne, like at the drop of a hat. Like I fucking love that town. Yeah, and coming Maybe we from just find a way to to just do three months of the year there, or something like that. Ride the visa. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, but I, I feel like that's those are strong statements coming from two pretty well traveled and seasoned backpackers yeah um so um, definitely you, worth getting there there you have it well uh it's been real it's been fun has it been real fun i don't know that's a trope but i will say this <laughs> we keep pushing the bar on this podcast and um yeah i think it, it always this is the most become, uncomfortable i felt on a podcast i don't so, think you've ever heard worth. me so silent before but th- luckily that'll all be edited out but yeah i really enjoy doing this with you brad and uh We'll Thanks, for lis- Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you again next week. I believe we'll have a, a guest on the pod. I'm really excited about that. Any other news or notes? You guys know where to find us on the Road Provides pod on Instagram. Again, we'd love to hear any feedback, comments. And that's it. Much love, Nate. I will catch you here in a couple of days. See you soon. All right. Peace. This is The Road Provides. Mom, get off the Wi-Fi.